0: Oh, hello there. Welcome to The Rev Up, where we talk all things revenue growth for business. Um, If you are an executive, a leader, or even just, you know, your plain old self, working in uh, marketing, sales, account management, any of these areas that are responsible for revenue growth of a business, uh, or in fact, you own your own business uh, and really want to learn what is and isn't working in the big bad world of revenue growth. Uh, And you want to have a little fun along the way, you are absolutely in the right place. My name is Ben Shipley. Uh, I've spent the last 19 years of my life in the world of revenue growth, uh, leading teams all over the world. Uh, This podcast, The Rev Up, is brought to you by Trust the Process, uh, where we help small to medium-sized businesses grow by leveraging cost-effective, skilled staff offshore, uh, as well as helping you implement technologies like uh HubSpot CRM uh active campaign for automating your marketing etc uh you can visit www.trusttheprocess.com.au if you'd like to find out a little bit more uh today on the rev up uh very exciting day we have uh we have the one and only Rory Fitzpatrick uh Rory is the co-founder Uh, And one of the leaders over at CloudGo, Rory has over 20 years experience in sales and service management in Australia, New Zealand, and Asia Pacific, uh, with a big focus on the enterprise software sector. Uh, Rory is an absolute leader in the world of cloud computing, uh, as well as an entrepreneur, mentor, and coach himself. Um, He is very much a self-motivated leader and manager. Uh, with an amazing proven track record of delivering business results in revenue and profitability in highly competitive environments. Uh, He is a master at creating and delivering partner strategies, uh, structuring and coaching successful teams, uh, and building and maintaining strong customer relationships. Um, You know, Rory is really, he's a super experienced leader. He's got a strong work work ethic. You will see from this episode, just an ability to cut through with common sense. Um, He is a great networker and look, his goal, it appears, is to always bring passion and value to every interaction. He is a great guy to talk to. He absolutely knows his stuff. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode uh, over to you in the studio, Ben and Rory. So, welcome to the Rev Up, Rory Fitzpatrick. Hey, Ben. How are you? Crowd goes wild. <laughs> Good, thanks, mate. We um we've known each other for a few years. We actually first met. I don't know if you you remember this particularly clearly, but uh, we first met when I was building an event sponsorship team, maybe four four plus years ago, uh, here in Sydney uh we caught up for a coffee
1: uh Some really random coffee shop that i probably yeah. never find again if i tried yeah
0: yeah i'm i almost guarantee it's no longer open uh it wasn't particularly busy at the time and then uh obviously it had challenges like all coffee shops did um i was trying to i was trying to sell sponsorship to you uh i failed uh i didn't manage to <laughs> didn't manage to succeed um but we've we've seemed to just kind of randomly cross paths a bunch of times uh, over the last few years and so just kind of stayed in touch uh, mm-hmm. pretty organically. Um, you and I haven't caught up properly in about a, a year, I think. What are, what are you up to and what have you been working on as we sit here in early
1: 2023? Yeah, uh, just 100% focused on growing CloudGo Uh yep. we- Celebrated our seven-year anniversary back on the first of February.
0: Congratulations! Uh,
1: thank you. You know, my 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 running gag is always still alive. Uh, <laughs> obviously, we're trying to do uh, trying to do more than that. So yeah, just yeah. we we continue to go through these new stages, and I have to continue to keep growing and changing to be able to make sure that I'm a couple of steps ahead of the organisation or the behaviours. Mm. Or- or the types of sales that we used to do are no longer relevant for us at the stage that we're at. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just constantly trying to make sure that I'm ahead of that to look after the people in my organization and look after our customers.
0: Nice. And I mean, to think of even like where you and your business were the first time we met, you just come back from Singapore uh, about four years ago. It's a pretty amazing ride, really, to think about those last four years. Are you uh, maybe keen to share, like, uh, how this whole business with CloudGo came about? Uh, where you've kind of managed to take it from from then until till now?
1: Yeah, sure. So back in twenty eleven ish, I was working uh, in Melbourne for BMC Software. Um, mm-hmm. They then moved me up to uh, Singapore. Thank you, Sandrina, if you're listening. Uh, and I ran their education and training for Asia Pac uh, from Singapore. Um, they went through a, a privatization; a whole bunch of people got laid off as part of that. I got caught up in that in kind of 2013, and uh, we'd only been in Singapore for about 18 months. And we were thinking, you know, wife, two kids. We're like, hey, the adventure isn't over. A year and a half year isn't quite long enough. So I went and got a job with this uh, small company that nobody had heard of called Cloud Sherpas. And about mm. two years, uh, Sherpa's got acquired by Accenture. Um, Cloud Sherpas, is the uh, Salesforce uh, yeah. consultancy, yeah? Yeah. So I was running Asia for Sherpa's. We we're mostly doing service now uh, up there. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, nothing against Accenture, just a very different culture. So we started talking to some people about starting our own thing. And... Uh, You know, my my wife, who loves stability and security, is kind of going, what on earth are you doing? Why aren't you just carrying on at this large organization that likes you and wants to look after you? Um, And I I remember very distinctly, I said to her, I I can't go to my grave not having tried. I've Mm. uh, tried a couple of different businesses in the past, not always successfully or not always to my credit. And I just went you know what i honestly think there's a great opportunity here to build a good company that good people want to work for that good organizations want to work with um you know co-founded with uh, Rahul uh my, my co-founder who is one of the smartest guys uh, that i know he's now a certified master architect which is like at that top level in service now and uh so we figured we'd, we'd kind of go and give it a crack so early 2016 we uh, we uh, start cloud go and, and initially we were trying to do a ship as 2.0 right we we're like hey we're going to do, we'll do service now we'll do microsoft cyber security and then you know about two years later we went look we just really need to focus this is too hard we're trying to do too much so we shut down sales yeah. because we just couldn't differentiate and i think that's a really really important lesson for a lot of people you know, customers would come to us and they would go, hey, what do you know about ServiceNow? We go, oh, we know this, we know that, we know this. You know, we've been working on a pre-Aspen. We've been around since, you know, since day zero almost. We were working on ServiceNow since before ServiceNow had an office in Asia Pack. And then they'd come to us and go, oh, what can you do on Salesforce? And we'd be like, we can do sales cloud kind of stuff. Like we really couldn't differentiate Mm. Force market. We were very me too. And the cybersecurity piece is is like nothing, 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 nothing. Oh my God, I got hacked. Quick help fix it. Okay, no, go away. And you just can't yeah. do the business on, yeah. on, on the thing, right? So we shut those down totally focused on Service Now. And then we just started doubling year on year. Um, so fast forward to today, we've got 75-ish stuff. Uh, we're now the largest privately held ServiceNow partner in Asia Pac. Uh, we are an elite partner which is the top level you can get to without being a global SI. Everest Group ranks us as one of the top five privately held ServiceNow partners worldwide wow. um, we're, we're doing all right and uh, you know we, we had to learn some more lessons last year as we went through another step change but some of those things are really starting to come through now so yeah. yeah been constantly evolving challenge for us
0: yeah what a what an exciting, exciting like um, to be in any business that kind of goes through that that heavy growth phase like we're just exploding um, mm. it's always exciting it's always challenging but I don't want to gloss over uh, you did talk a little bit there about um, you tried some other businesses and some things before you Yep. It, before you started CloudGo, there's always some good stories in the lessons from mm-hmm. the failed businesses. There must be one or two in there.
1: Oh, yeah, there's, there's a few. Um, um, let, let me start by telling you my wiggle story, shall I? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm very keen for a wiggle story. Very keen a, for- it's a great frame up.
1: Uh, so when I was at university, me and uh, me and a couple of mates uh, did a lot around uh, comedy, stand-up comedy, theatre sports, uh, mm. theatre performances, those sorts of things. We ran the uh, the national university comedy competition at the University of Waikato in Hamilton uh, one year. So we were we were trying to do comedy and art as as a business, and. Um, Uh, you know I worked in radio and I did a few other things like that as well so one day I was reading it was Who magazine at the time and there was an article in there about this mob called the Wiggles and uh, you know it was interviews with uh, with some of the parents and talking about how they were doing really well and I was like who are these guys never heard of them and one of the parents talked about oh they're like Pink Floyd for kids I went that's a really interesting analogy Pink Okay, sure, fine. So I, I, this is how old it is, I wrote a letter to Who magazine and I said, hey, these guys Wiggles you just did uh, like an article on, they sound really interesting, me and my friends are doing the same sort of thing over here in New Zealand, I'd really like to touch base with them and have a conversation about what they're doing and what we're doing and can we swap notes. Posted that letter off, forgot all about it. Uh, About two to three months later, and don't forget, I'm still in university, right? Share house, phone, answer phone, no no mobile phones, all that sort of stuff. Somebody goes, oh, Rory, there's a message on the answer phone for you. Oh, okay, sure, fine. I go over, uh, you know, uh, and I listen to this and it's like, oh, hello, uh, my name is, can't remember the bloke's name, sorry, uh, Mr. Whoever you are, let's call him Barry. Uh, Hi, this is uh, Barry. I'm wanting to talk to Rory. Apparently, you want to be the New Zealand distributor for the Wiggles. Uh, can you please give me a call back on this number? Blah 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 blah. And more <laughs> further, I went. That isn't what I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, I don't want to be your distributor. Go ahead. and delete. And then about three or four months later, all of the DVDs start turning up in all of the supermarkets. All of the concerts start happening, oh. you schmuck, <laughs> like. <what are> you- <laughs> So anytime time somebody oh. talks to me, you know, oh, should I do this? Oh, I'm so scared. I, I tell them my wiggle story. It's like, don't hit delete. Don't hang up. Don't say no. Say yes. Go and yeah. have a cry. How many Wiggles do you ever get in your life? Like, it yeah. doesn't happen very often, right? You're going to get these circumstances in your life where something's going to present itself to you and you're going to be scared out of your brain about what is, or yep. you're going to well, that isn't quite what I'd after, just go and do the freaking thing anyway. I mean, what's mm. the worst that could have happened if I'd called the guy back? He would have went, ah, yeah, sorry, you don't actually know what you're doing in terms of being a distributor for us, but who knows what could have come from that, right? We could have got some network, some connection, he might have wanted to talk to us about what we were trying to do. Who knows, right? Mm. So... You, know, you wanted to talk to me about examples of businesses and 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 lessons learned. That for me is just a massive lesson of take the opportunity that's in front of you. Mm. And that was exactly the same thing when we had the opportunity to start Cloud Go, right? I could have stayed at Accenture, I could have disappeared inside the machine. Um, but there was this opportunity, and I couldn't go to my grave not having tried, having learnt my Wiggles lesson.
0: Yeah i I hear a lot of um entrepreneurs with a a similar sort of moment uh, and saying a similar sort of thing like i couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't go to my grave knowing that I never tried, and so I mm-hmm. had to go. Um, yeah. I think there's there there tends to be like those two ends of the spectrum, like the people that really worked very hard learnt, you know, earned it, earned it and learned it in other companies on other people's money. And uh, eventually we're like, I can do this. I just got to do it. Now's yeah. the time. I'm never going to get another chance. i got to go for it. And you, then you get the people on the other end of the spectrum that never went and worked for anyone. they were like, they were going to be an entrepreneur from day one. Uh, yeah. And they worked it out on their own money. Um, yeah, it's funny it. to see them both ways. It's funny you telling that Wiggles story because uh, I've seen somebody on the other side of it, not to rub the uh, it In for you, by the way, <laughs> I've seen somebody on the other end of that where, um, I met a guy years ago and I forget his name, so I apologize. Guy that I met years ago who, <laughs> um, who randomly met some guy who made thongs or anybody that's not in Australia, uh, flip flops, uh, jandals. sorry, jandals, jandals. Um, etc. Um, and uh, and he was like, um, oh, what are you doing? They're like, oh, we're just kind of finding people to distribute them around the world. Um, and the guy was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm in Australia. Um, I do import of, I think it was like construction equipment or something like that.
1: Mm.
0: It, it was like, but, you know, that'd be kind of cool to look at. Uh, and the guy was like, whatever, it's Australia, who cares? Yeah, you can look at it. Do you want to do it? Do it. Uh, and those, uh, that that footwear company happened to be Havaianas. So <laughs> And so that guy built essentially like a, a 20, $25 million business almost overnight because Javiana's just took off in Australia. And he had the, the um, distribution contract for it.
1: Lovely. So there yep. you go. Yep.
0: Seen it on the flip side too. So you were about to say something before I told that story.
1: Yeah. Just, um, you know, that, that journey, right? Like I tried a whole bunch of different things when I was uh, at, at university and then met a wonderful lady, married, had kids, did all those sorts of things. And I was kind of like, I need to provide. So I did the, the corporate job um, and, you know, picked the worst possible time to decide to start a, a, another business, right? Like uh, in Singapore, if you don't have a job, you can't have an employment pass. If you yeah. haven't got an pass, you can't stay there. So we, you know, building something on shifting ground um, in, uh <clears throat> Early, early 40s, uh, seven years ago, uh, with wife and two young kids and, and all those sorts of things. Terrible bloody time to start a business. But
0: mm.
1: I figured if I didn't start it then, I was never going to start it, right? So I, I could have gone down the path of trying other things earlier. It just so happened. That was my time. That's when it took until.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you came out of like a long career in technology sales yep. prior to starting CloudGo. Um, yep. And it looked, um, you know, and from our conversations we've had in the past and from the outside looking in, it it, it looked like you had a very um, sort of sales led growth. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Sales led growth approach to growing Cloud Go. Yep. Um, well, I mean, first of all, have I got that right? <laughs> and if I have got it right, was that mm. a, a, a sort of difficult approach to take? Uh, is that the same way you would do it or the same way you would suggest other people do it?
1: Um, Certainly there are lessons we've learned about Cloud Go that, you know, if I had my time over again, I'd do some things differently. Um, But for me, it was really important. I knew I couldn't do it by myself, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a sales guy. Sure, I did a degree in computing and mathematical sciences, but I've done my best to forget all of that and, and just kind of focus on the sales side of things. So if I built a business where I was selling something, I'd have nobody to deliver it. And for me, if, if I haven't got confidence in what's getting delivered, it's very hard for me to actually go and sell it and put my hand on my heart and go, yes, you should buy this thing because we'll know we'll do a great job. So I was really, really lucky that I had a great co-founder in Rahul. Um, and you know, Rahul wanted to learn how to run businesses. Uh, he wanted to, to have ownership of an organization moving forward. But goodness me, he's a great operator when it comes to helping people get the most value from ServiceNow and and getting that done fast. So that was just a key part of, oh, let's go and do that. And the fact that we'd been, uh, you know, running Sherpas in Asia, I was effectively running my own business with somebody else's money anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, and because we were kind of like this offshoot over in Asia. We didn't have a huge amount of oversight because we didn't necessarily... Move the needle a lot. Sherpa's is like a thousand-person organization. We were seven. So we could try a, a whole bunch of different things. So yeah, absolutely. When we were talking about starting um, Sherpa's, you know, I, I made a whole bunch of phone calls. And I'm like, we're talking about starting this business up. If we started it up, would you be our customer? And we got three organizations that said, yes, we would be your customer. And then one that actually came through with a purchase order. And so we started the business with that first customer. And that first customer was Razor.
0: Mm. mm. Right. Um it's I mean, it's obviously a great start to have a, a customer to kind of go to market with. Um yeah. was that a was that like a pre-existing relationship? Was that something you kind of converted from from somebody you already knew? Or was that something you had to go and do new business development to?
1: Um, I, I called my network because yeah. part, part of the thing was, right, if we were going to make a decision, we had to make a decision relatively quickly with you know, being mm. in employment passes, all those sorts of things as well. So it wasn't going to be a long drawn out thing of me kind of going, I've got a six, nine, 12 month roadmap and I'm going to go and do a bunch of cold calling. It was like, if we can't get three organizations to say that they want to sign up with us, then this probably isn't going to work. And so that was like the first test for us, right, to go and try to do that. So, yeah, we were absolutely leveraging uh, the existing network Um, and then growing the business from there. You know, year one, it was just me and Rahul, basically. And I would sell. I was the project manager. I was the functional consultant writing up all of the documentation and he made the product work and do what the customer was after. Mm. Uh, Our focus was on Razor and then piece by piece, we picked up other other customers uh, as well
0: and um you you made a move back to australia yep um and sort of focused the business back over over this way what sort of prompted um that sort of geographical uh focus shift i suppose
1: yeah it was a couple of things so um stage of life for the family so yep. a- had lived in Singapore for seven years or so. Kids were born in Melbourne, moved to Singapore. They'd spent half their lives in Singapore. Singapore for expats can be a very transient place, right? Like Mm. you're either there two years or you're there 20. Mm. And so a lot of their friends kept churning all the time. And we were like, look, they're about to be kind of going into puberty, into their teens, all of those sorts of things. Do we really want the girls to be here when they're going to have that sort of external thing going on? Um, and then from that, we would picked up some Australian customers from my Australian network and we went, listen, Asia is absolutely our home. It's absolutely our base. It's absolutely where we're headquartered. But Australia is a very mature market and we think we've got an opportunity to put this other stake in the ground. So we're not just reliant on Asia. We can put a stake in the ground in Australia, grow the install base here, grow our customer base here. And then they can kind of counterbalance each other a little bit. So Rahul can kind of run Asia. I'll run Australia. I'll keep being MD. He'll keep being a CTO, head of delivery, um, and head of Asia for us. Um, and, and so that's that's what we did. Um, and, you know, we just happened to time it that we moved down just before COVID-19 and all of those restrictions hit. And so I've been working from home a lot for the past four years, rather than flying around as much as I first thought I was going to be.
0: Mm. Yeah. And uh, have you ex- have you gone anywhere else other than Asia and Australia now?
1: Yeah, so we tried to open up in the US. Uh, we were not successful in that. We had to shut it down after about 18 months. And, you know, there's a bunch of lessons learned there about time zones. Uh, as mm. you know, you're finding with things, it's just bloody hard to coach people, to inject belief and culture into people. Um, you know, we're, we're a remote first organization, right? Like we started opening our Indian operations um, just as twenty uh, just as COVID-19 started uh, hitting as well. Like we'd literally signed a contract for an office in Hyderabad. And the end of that week, all of the lockdown restrictions started hitting in India. So we we're able to back out of that. Um, we, we have an office in Sydney. We have an office in Melbourne. We have an office in Singapore and we have no other offices. Everybody else is working from home. Right. Yeah. So um, we've been able to make a lot of that work, but, you know, we're we're still relatively close in time zone, relatively close to each other uh, culturally and and the like as well. And, uh, you know, we we tried to invest in the U.S., Um, We didn't necessarily hire people with enough ServiceNow background or people with enough background of of running the organization. Great people doing the best thing that they possibly could that we thought were the right people, but we just couldn't make it work. Uh, And so in the end, we cut our losses there. We we still have the entity up and running, um, but we are not focusing on that. And some of that comes back to, you know, I, I called out earlier, hey, we were doing three different things when we first started. We shut two of them down and went whoosh. Um, focus is so important. It's such a big lesson mm. over the last seven years. If you try to do too much, it just will not work. Honestly, three things, five maximum, but really three things. Pick your three things. That's it. If you try to do seven, if you try to do nine, you're going to fail. It, it just You've got to simplify some of this stuff down. So we tried to go to the US too early. We didn't do it properly. We couldn't make it work. But by backing away from that and being able to focus back down and go, what are we going to do to make Australia successful? What are we going to do to make Southeast Asia successful? Um, those regions are really picking up uh, picking up steam now.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it is super interesting the different ways that people can grow. And sometimes you have to... Um, there's that old analogy, right? Of like you're walking down a road and you've got a fork in the road um and uh there's two people one of them walks down one of the roads and the other one stands there looking at the fork mm. um, which person is further along in the journey well if the person that went the wrong way finds out they went the wrong way even though they've gone the wrong way they're further along the journey because they know now <laughs> they don't have to wait any longer um and you do see a lot of businesses that do grow from from further geographical expansion but it's not the only option right we yeah. can expand geographies. We can add products. We can add, um, we can alter products to open up additional customer segments. Yeah. Uh, we can scale what types of customers we're working with. Yeah. Um, there's a whole bunch of different. I mean, and then there's the obvious scaling the existing product uh, and revenue model, um, or increasing efficiencies and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. But what what things have you typically lent on to kind of? you know, everyone goes through these ups and downs. Sometimes it's going really fast. Sometimes it's going really slow. Sometimes it feels like it's not going to go anywhere. What are the things that you typically have uh, leaned on in those moments to kind of get the wheels turning and really kind of push the business forward again?
1: Um, I think a really important thing for, for myself and Rahul as founders is we've always been honest and transparent with each other. Like we're seven years on and he and I still have a great relationship. I think that says a lot, right? Um, And there have been times when I've been down, I've been burnt out, I've just been sick of it all, or I've been making bad decisions or whatever it is. And he will step up and he will start looking after things. And there will be times when he's got too much on his plate and I will step up and try to take care of things as well. You know, making sure we're doing that in such a way that we're not stepping on each other's toes. Um, there's always there's always a blessing and a curse to however you go about doing your business, right? Like we hire for culture first. We really want to make sure that CloudGo is a great place to work. But then sometimes that means that we're potentially uh, not as uh, operationally strict or uh, or focused as, as perhaps we need to. So it's trying to make sure that we get that balance that we're a great place to work. Mm-hmm. But hey, as an adult and professional, you must be held to account to Bill your 40 hours, to sell your quota, to make sure those things are delivered within an SLA, to make sure the timesheets get approved on a Monday and not on a Thursday, right? So be a great place to work with, with real depth of relationship but knowing that we're getting held to high standards. And and so a key part of that has been, you know, and a part of my learning is we've been too nice on some things in the past and we would let some things take three months, six months, nine months when really we should never have got into it in the first place. Um, You know, one of the the toughest projects we ever had um, has ended up, you know, ended up costing us several hundred thousand dollars and over time and then a customer that didn't want to pay at the end of it, we knew in week two that project was going sideways. And honestly, if, if we had our time again, we would have stopped that project in week two. All hell would have broken loose. People would have been angry, blah, 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 blah. But it would have saved 12 to 18 months worth of pain. We knew and we didn't do enough about trying to stop it. So I think there's a really big thing about trusting yourself and trusting your gut. Like you can see from the bookshelf in the background, right? I'm a lifelong learner. I read heaps of books. I've been to heaps of seminars. I'm I, i I'm always constantly trying to get better and have been for such a long time. Sometimes the challenge with that is going off. Oh, I just read one more thing then I'll know what to do. They, they're kind <laughs> of yeah. when you go, Dude, stop it. You know what to do. You know what the right answer is here. You know you need to back off on this person, you know that you need to give this person a harder time or a bit more of a push or ask them to be more accountable or, you know, whatever that next step is. You can do that with good heart and good intent, but you have to make sure, um, you know, nobody ever went broke making a profit. We have to make sure that we keep delivering profits. We have to make sure that we keep uh, delivering great outcomes for our customers so that they come back and buy more from us. So I think the thing that I've really learned on is just trusting myself that I can actually make good decisions. And that's something that I continue to get better at. But it isn't until, you know, you have to make payroll for a certain number of people that you really start going, this better be yeah. a decision. And knowing that, uh, knowing that if anybody's going to be making a good decision, that it's you because you're doing it with strong background of knowing what should happen, but also trying to do things with right intent as well. Well, you talk
0: there about about using your gut to make decisions. Yep. Um, I I often think that, um, and and uh, have certainly read this in a few places as well. So it's not just my opinion, but um, I certainly think that um, your gut often actually comes from education. Right? It's like yep. you're drawing on all of these things, all of these experiences, all of these. Um, uh, things that you've read, things that you've been taught, you won't necessarily be able to put your finger on it, where it's coming from, uh, but it's all these things that come together. And so it's amazing how the more you teach yourself and the more you learn, the more you focus on learning, the more refined your gut gets and the more often you're right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree with that. My my decision-making has got better with the more decisions I've made. My decision-making mm. has better with the more that I have read. Um but it really is just about consistently going and trying to do the right thing and then kind of seeing what happened. Um, yep. Yep. I I find a lot, and this is certainly relevant in sales, but it's also relevant in business. Ask the next question, right? Far too many people ask the first question and then get happy with the answer. You know, it's the old sales mm-hmm. rep happy years problem, right? Are you going to buy this quarter? Yes, oh, great, thanks. And you go off and forecast it you know, why is such a great question. And Mm. so if you're kind of struggling a little bit with, you know, is this a good decision or is this not? Why becomes such a good question to kind of ease away some of those doubts? Why would you do this? Why would they have said that? What's the behavior behind this? The more you can kind of put yourself in other people's shoes as well to understand what are the pressures on them, the more you can start building trust with people that they see that you're trying to make a good decision and therefore they're going to try to help you to make a good decision where possible. So don't be afraid to ask more questions, I would say is, is a key learning for me as well.
0: Um, you, you mentioned in, in talking about um, making decisions and, uh, and learning to make decisions and those sorts of things, there's a particular decision you mentioned just before that I, I'd like to, um, I'd like to ask about. You you mentioned that you have um, team members in India. Yep. Um, do you have any other other remote sort of um, offshore from from the places that you deliver for your customers? Do you have staff in other locations other than India?
1: Um, so Singapore, Australia, India. We have got one person in the Philippines, one person in the US.
0: And so when you went to choose where you were going to have people like you were talking before about you'd uh you know chosen an office uh in in Hyderabad um like I've I've hired people in 30 something countries now uh what do you have a like a thought process you go through is there a reason why you choose a location that you're going to outsource a particular function or sorry offshore a particular function to
1: uh My answer to that would be find the insider. Yep. We we decided that we needed an offshore capability to be able to compete on price, especially in... Mm -hmm. uh, Cloud Sherpas had a big offshore in the Philippines. So we started by calling some of our friends and contacts in the Philippines. But for various reasons, that didn't work, right? They were happy doing what they were doing. They'd eventually signed up with a competitor, you know, some of those things didn't work. You know, how do you set up a Filipino entity? Um, you know, do you need a local Filipino on the, on the directorship? How do we make tax mm-hmm. and those work? Do you need to be in like the no tax zone? Um, there's a whole bunch of those things that you've got to go and work through around fiscally and operationally to try to make it work. But really, the key thing comes down to you've got to have an insider, somebody that can go and lead that for you, right? We couldn't find that person in the Philippines. Um, Vietnam would have been too tricky with language and I just don't think there was enough of a pool there same sort of thing with Thailand um, <clears throat> not necessarily enough cost, cost differential with Malaysia so India was just uh, an obvious one for us yeah. um, um, and so you know my, my co-founder Rahul is uh, of Indian descent um, but he's from Delhi he's not from Hyderabad so why do we pick Hyderabad because you know we We're working with some of our team members about who do you know over there, who would be some good people to potentially come on board. We found somebody that could help set up the entity for us and it all just kind of coalesced around Hyderabad that we were going, we can find people around here. And so that's where we looked to set the office up. But then COVID actually became a blessing for us. We do not have an office in India. Everybody works from home and everybody there is doing a great job, more to the point if they're not doing a great job, they don't get hired or they're no longer with us. Because we we judge by outcomes, right? Our our conversation with our team member, day one, we take everybody through a culture pack, right? Now, I wrote this culture pack six years ago. Now, to be honest, I stole things from HubSpot, I stole things from Netflix, sprinkled around a bit of secret sauce uh, on top of it. But it's been the same culture pack since day one. All of the things that we talk about uh, in there in terms of who we are, what we do, why we do it, it's been consistent since day one. And one of those key things is, hey, you're an adult and a professional. That's why we've hired you. We've hired you because you're good. We don't want to micromanage you. We don't want to look over your shoulder. We want to be able to work with you to hand you work and you deliver great outcomes for our customers. But we can see what you built because it's a cloud platform and we can see how happy the customers are or not and whether what you've built actually works. So just do a good job and do the amount of work that we would expect you would be able to do in the 40 hours because we're not sitting at your home making sure you log up log on at this time in the morning and log off at this time in the afternoon. Mm. So there's quite a lot of trust there as well, right? And so the whole thing starts with trust, but it's trust that you can inspect because you can go, you know, we know whether you're doing a good job or not. So, you know, why do we choose Hyderabad? Because of reasons. Where is everybody now? All over the place. Uh, mm. I cannot yeah. tell you where everybody is in India um, because they're yeah. not. And it doesn't matter long as they do a good job we do not care
0: yep there's some there's a bunch of really interesting really really great pieces of advice in there i'm going to do my best to come back to as many of them as i can <laughs> remember because there were so <laughs> many um so what the the first one you said about um find your insider um yep. i think that that can be taken in a whole bunch of ways one of the ways that i suggest to people all all the time i mean obviously we are Um, an outsourcing provider most of the people that we hire are in the philippines Um, anybody that's trying like particularly something like sales sales is probably a great example for this if you're ever going to outsource sales you really need that sales manager in the philippines that person that is your one-to-one connection that you know um gets it wants it and has the capacity to do it themselves so that as you bring other people into the organization, they can be responsible for onboarding and training and managing and coaching and doing all those things. And you kind of have to have that. I think that that applies to, to almost anything that you might outsource the per I think of it, like who is the person that's going to help me make sure that the process that I want to outsource is going to be expressed in the way that I want it expressed.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that, that,
0: that piece
1: you is. That process properly. Do you know what success looks like? Yeah. Can you take that thing and go and hand that off to somebody in the Philippines or whoever. Uh, I think it's important to note as well that your leadership is going to change over time, right? Mm. The person who helped set us up in Hyderabad made way for another person that was our head of India. And now we're in a position where we don't really have a head of India. We've got a number of leaders over there that report into a number of different leaders in Singapore or Australia. But there are are people that have been there for a couple of years, understand how we work, and, and can take that through to the people that are in their organization. So we've kind of been able to grow this leadership team over there, which is important for us to be able to scale. It's not all back on that one insider, but to start, you need the insider. You need somebody that's going to be able to translate your way of thinking, your way of working, your expectation of what good looks like to how you do that locally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Big shout out from me to uh, Bell Capistrano, she is that person for me in the Philippines. <laughs> I, I don't know that she'll listen, to be honest. Uh, but uh, belle has been that person for me for for a number of years now, uh, and is it 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 is an absolute game changer. You talked there yeah. about um about like growing leaders. I know something we kind of went back and forth on in the lead up to this uh, was about um growing leadership teams, um. What, what's been your kind of approach? What's your sort of, one of your like core beliefs around building leadership teams?
1: Oh man, it's so hard. Um, mm. uh, and it's a constant challenge. Look, many of the people that are leaders and managers, and I say that deliberately because I believe that a leader is not necessarily a manager and a manager is not necessarily a leader. Many of the people in those roles in our organization are first-time managers or first-time leaders. And so we've uh, we've had to do a lot of work around certainly the culture side of things, certainly the expectation of professionalism side of things. Um, and I'll I'll give a big shout out to uh, to Swati Gupta, who's our head of uh, people and culture, who's just been incredibly important to us. Um, uh, you know, she she's an, an early starter with us, been here now, just celebrated her six years uh, not that long ago. So she's been here for. Uh, for a long time. And she's been really important to help making sure that we're able to deliver people and culture capability operationally, but then also how do we manage and grow our people to become managers and leaders so they can then grow other people. We've still got more to do, right? Uh, We know that there's more leadership training we need to do for our people. We know there's more management training for what we need to do uh, for our people. So that hasn't been a perfect thing for us. For us, it, it's just kind of been about who are the people that have hustled and wanted stuff inside the organization, right? If it's somebody who's just kind of head down, they're doing their 40 hours and, and then they're kind of clocking off and away they go. That's, we're always grateful for those people. They're an incredibly important part of the organization. But if there's somebody who's kind of going, oh, hey, I read this thing and here's this article or hey, can I help do this thing for you? Or I built this app in the weekend and I think we should publish it to the store. Like those are the sorts of people that you start going, oh, good. you yeah, know, I'm going to sit up and take notice of who you are. And mm-hmm. who. Yep. How are you being entrepreneurial inside your job? Because when I start going, oh, damn, who's going to help me sort this process? Who's going to help me sort this onboarding thing? Who's going to help me sort buying and storing a bunch of laptops in India, I'll call that person. They know what they're doing. And it just kind of naturally goes on from that, right? So I would strongly suggest to anybody, whether you're in an entrepreneurial organization like ours or a larger organization, just kind of keep putting your hand up, keep getting noticed. Hey, I did this. Hey, I saw that. Hey, I was on this podcast with Ben. And this thing is, you know, some of this sort of stuff, it's it just keep getting your name out internally as well. Um, or even, uh, you know, pushing stuff up to uh, to LinkedIn and socials and the rest, that gets noticed externally, it gets noticed internally as well. Here's this thought leadership piece I wrote. Put that up on the website, right? You start noticing those sorts of people who are doing that sort of stuff. It should just be common sense, right? If you want Mm. to be leadership and management roles, show that you can be a leader or a manager. You're not just going to get magically randomly selected. You get picked for those things for a reason because you look like a person that's going to have a crack, that's living the values, that really wants the organization to be successful and wants to be successful as part of the organization.
0: Yeah, and um, the the selection of leaders, I think, is always like it's a super important part. You're never going to get it right all of the time. Um, and there's a few different ways to approach it. One of the things that I've always found really Uh, really helpful is to think about what I want to get done Mm. and how defined is it because Mm. if I have a process in place and what I'm really looking for is somebody that can help me build a team that executes on that process brilliantly then what I'm looking for usually is the champion of the process like who within the existing team is the best at explaining the process to other people and pushing for people to use the process properly and make sure all of the right boxes are ticked and the right information is in the right places. Like that person, I tend to find if it's a very defined process-driven type team or growth path, uh, that's that's the person I'm looking for. The flip side, sometimes you're making something brand new and a very process-driven process champion leader is going to get you nowhere because they're not going to make a whole bunch of new stuff. You know, if you've got an approach to kind of figuring out who who you should choose and then, like, what do you do with them once you've chosen them?
1: It, it depends upon what you want that person to be doing for you or for the organisation, right? We're not typically taking uh, your option A people. They're the people that are really good at the process and turning them into managers or leaders. They're great operational people to be able to, you know, help herd the cats and help make sure that we hit our numbers and hit our SLAs. But they're not necessarily the people that are going to be able to help bring a team along with them or be able to have career conversations with people. So for me, that's a super important part about like management and leadership. I reckon most companies don't train their leaders properly. You know, this is is a revenue podcast, so let's talk about revenue leaders here for a moment. The worst revenue leaders are just glorified scorekeepers, and Lord knows, I have been that. And you know, (laughs) we've all uh, been there. I still am in in some ways, and I'm really, really trying to change because the best ones should be inspiring and coaching as well, not just inspecting what's going on. You know, it's one thing to have a sales call. And you got the pipeline the CRM pulled up in front of you and you go tell me about that deal tell me about that deal tell me about like come on where are you adding value to any of that process mm. to make your people more successful without you having to look over their shoulder so being able to to look at what was going on with um, uh, leads opportunities conversations at customers account plans territory plans those sorts of things And also kind of read into what your team is saying, what they're doing, what their activities are, what questions they might have, and then be able to help coach them through going, look, it looks like you keep getting stuck at this stage. I don't think you're stuck at this stage because you've missed this part of the step here. I think you're stuck here because you went too fast down here. So how do we go back and really try to make sure that you are asking those sorts of questions? You know, I I had a great conversation with one of our reps in Singapore, um, literally just this morning, where I was talking about slow down to go fast. You know, I think it's a really Mm. fast sales cycle, but you've got to slow down early. If if you kind of hit 50%, you haven't actually done all of your qualification, everything after 50% should really just kind of be the process of getting the thing executed. Um, But everything up to there... um, you know, I could go on and on and on and on about Bant. Why do they have to buy from us now and MedPick? And the moment I say those things, my sales team get shutters down their spine because I just I go on about it all the time. Yeah. Um, but those things are partially inspection conversations. You know, do you know budget? Do you know authority? Do you know need? Do you know time frame for Bant? but they really uh, allow you as a leader or a manager to be able to sit with that person and go, look, it seems like you're consistently struggling to try to find the authority and get to the authority. How do we help you call hire in an organization? How do we help you do those things? So for me, you know, answering your question about, hey, an operationally proficient person, absolutely put them in an operationally proficient sort of role. They're not always going to be the right people to do a leadership sort of role, And you just got to be super careful about who you put in place as a manager, because even as a manager, you still need to be having career conversations with people. You still need to be mapping out what they're trying to do and where they're trying to go. You still need to be able to give them robust feedback about here's what I've seen about your work or here's what I've seen from other people. And hey, you gave yourself a five out of five here. Let's be honest, you need some work on this thing. I rated you as a three out of five. Those are all very uncomfortable conversations and you need to have some interpersonal skills to be able to try to drive some of those things. Mm, Definitely. Train leaders on interpersonal skills, especially tech companies when you're promoting really good (laughs) or really good programmers into lead roles. The interpersonal skills can take some time to come along. So I think it's just a super important thing. And Lord knows we're not perfect. We've still got a lot more to go on that. But I just see that that is a real compelling differentiator for organizations. If you can, um, If you can inspire and coach your people, if you can inspire your coach, your managers and leaders to get better at that, then the inspection will just happen automatically and the results will start coming through as well, because people will know what to do, what best practice is, and will want to do that. And therefore, you'll get those answers you want.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I'm I can be a little bit harsh with the with the learning side of things, in that um, I also think that that you need to find leaders that take their own learning seriously for themselves, yeah. self driven self driven learners, uh, because any team member that is sitting around waiting for their manager or somebody in their business to teach them new things and what they need to do and how they need to do it. And and the, that person ahead of you is du- directly responsible for a hundred percent of your personal growth or your professional growth. You are going to go nowhere. That's, mm. that's just a fact in, in, in my opinion. And so I'm often looking for like, cause we're going to find stuff as we grow, things change. We're going to find things that we don't know how to do. And a person who is a self-led learner will often go and find how to do things like, yep. Sometimes the best lesson we can teach um, team members and people becoming leaders is how to problem solve as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, how to go and find the information that we need to find, how to make decisions based on that information. Like one of the um, the frameworks that I talk to new leaders about a lot is the idea of um, divergent and convergent thinking. Mm-hmm. Go diverge and create options Right. Mm -hmm. What are all of the options out there? Let's just get as many of them as we possibly can and then converge and make decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if, if all you've got in front of you is the first thing you thought of, you're probably not going to make good decisions, you know? And so these little pieces, you can tell them about these things, but unless the person then goes off and teaches themselves and reads books and articles and listens to podcasts and all that sort of stuff, they're not going to go very fast.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think uh, I think self-led learning and, you know, back to the point earlier about gut instinct is informed by what you have learned and where you've seen this before or where you might have read about this or thought about this before. Um, you just have to keep feeding the machine because Lord knows the world ain't slowing down, right? Mm. Um, we work um, at Cloud Go. We work in, uh, you know, in... Information space. AI is starting to go nuts. People are using ChatGPT to write scripts for service now. Mm. Okay. Uh, why do I need a consultant then if I can just get ChatGPT to go and write the bit of code for you? And so, what that comes back to then is how are you adding value to the, the customer? Or to tie back to your piece about divergent, and convergent thinking, how are you adding value to the situation that's there? And I think a lot of that does actually come back to questioning skills as well, right? Like I talked earlier about why. It's one thing to have a framework to kind of go, okay, let's think outside the box now. Let's bring these things together and kind of figure it out. But I think the first thing you need to go is, oh, why the hell are we doing this? Like, what's the point? I can go and ask ChatGPT to write some ServiceNow code, but what do you actually want it to do? Oh, no, it shouldn't. You shouldn't be asking it to that. You should be asking it to this because this will get you to that and that will get you to that. So that sort of, um thinking about values thinking about outcomes and being being curious to be able to ask you know that that's great but what's the second third fourth order of magnitude of the thought process or the why behind it to to kind of where you uh, where you want to get to does that make sense uh i think so i think it does <laughs> um <laughs> i went divergent on you there ben <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think it does in that um it's not it's not always just about the thing, the service, the um what you're doing for someone. It's how do we level ourselves up in order to be able to make sure that the customer gets the best possible outcome? And if <clears throat> sure they could use chat gpt to create something now, but how do we then as the experts in what we do also, yeah. use some of these tools in order to make ourselves more effective for those same customers.
1: And you is have that, to know is that
0: kind of where you were going.
1: Yeah, and then you have to know the questions to go and ask ChatGPT or ask your mm. people or True. ask your customers to be able to get to the right sort of outcome. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think that's the big learning from this big burst of AI. I don't necessarily think we're we're running into a Terminator scenario that all of a sudden Skynet has become sentient. <laughs> Um, it's still pretty dumb in many ways. It's getting smarter all the time, but it, it still has to be pointed in a certain direction to be able to get you the answer that is really going to get you from where you are to where you need to be. And so, I think being thoughtful, being curious, and being asked, being able to ask questions, is a really important part about learning. But you know, you. I strongly recommend people do a bunch of reading. You can see the bookcase here in the background. You can't necessarily see the bookcase that I've got here, but what have we got? Tony Robbins, Marcus Aurelius, Charles Dewig, Tony Robbins again. Uh, mm. the sales, things as we're talking about revenue, people have absolutely got to read that. Tim Ferriss, Jay Paul Giddy, Chris Voss for negotiating. If you never read that, I mean, I could read never, all of
0: Is it. that Never Split the Difference or one of his other never ones? Split I love it. the difference.
1: I never. love that book. Yeah. Honestly. You never read. you never read this book, to everybody out there, go and get that book.
0: It's a must-read. Anyone it's in sales, book. anyone in business, anyone with any kind of negotiation involved in their role, absolute mm. must-read. So I, absolute I, must read. I
1: read, I fold down uh, pages of uh, where I find something useful on the page, right? So mm. there's a bunch of stuff that's been turned over there with yeah. uh, Chris response. But, but the one that's probably got the most amount of pages turned over. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and page has got something turned over. Uh, John McMahon, the qualified sales leader.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've never, I've never read that one before. Um,
1: yeah. I, I only, John McMahon. So John McMahon was chief revenue officer, head of sales at BMC when I was there. And so that's how I, I heard about, I mean, I kind of, Heard roundabout afterwards that he'd read this book, and I went, "Oh, okay, fine. Well, you know, he seemed to know what he was doing. I'll go and have a look at the book and see if it's if it's any good. Um, it's not necessarily the best written book, but every page has something in it. Every page mm. has something in it. so so. John um, was chief revenue officer for PTC, Geotel, Ariba, Blade Logic, who got bought by BMC and then BMC, and he's on the board of Snowflake Mongo, uh, and MongoDB, and it's, you know, worked with mm. all the, like like AppDynamics and Sprinkler. So serious heavy hitter, right? But just all of this stuff is basically, how do you live and breathe MedPic? Now, I go on and on and on and on about uh, MedPic to my team, but I honestly think that if you're a revenue leader, there's really only three things that you need your team to be in control of. One of them is BANT. Budget authority need timeline. Most people use BANT and they go, this is all I need to go and qualify. And, and perhaps in smaller sales cycles, uh, mm. cheaper sales cycles, faster sales cycles, maybe that would work. But when you're doing enterprise deals, um, your high six figures, seven, eight figure, those sorts of things, it's not going to get you to where you need to be. Um, why do they have to buy from us now? Is one thing that I actually got from John's book because you break that out into five different areas. Why do they have to buy? Why do they have to buy? Why do they have to buy? Why do they have to buy from us? And why do they have to buy from us now, right? You could answer the first four and not get now done and your deals will keep slipping. You could answer four out of the five and you could miss why do they have to buy from us and you keep losing to your competition, right? So all of those things are, are super useful. And then, uh, you know, MedPIC, uh, people have seen, you know, Medic, um, uh, but, but I think MedPIC is actually a better one. Metrics, economic buyer, decision criteria, decision process, um, identify the pain is, is the I, paper process championing competition. Like if you know all of those things, then you're gonna be in such a better position to help the customer buy. And or to circle back around when you have problems later, Or, like if a project gets deployed, you can start going, hang on your metrics of why you bought this to start with can't cope with a two month delay. Mr. or Mrs. Customer, you need to help us make sure these things get pulled forward. Otherwise you're not gonna reap the benefits that you signed off for on this. But if you haven't done that piece of work at the front, Go slow to go fast you know slow is smooth uh, smooth is fast if you haven't done all of that work up front with then ban- why do they have to buy from us now and MedPick? you're going to find all of the stuff from 50 percent in your pipeline onwards so much harder to manage and post sale uh going to be so much harder to mm-hmm. manage as well because you kind of go oh why 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 do they do this i know they've just spent 150 grand to go and do this but why has it got to get done by june yeah, if you haven't answered that, then you'll run into all these other problems. Yep. But Rory, you'll have a
0: great looking sales pipeline in the CRM system if you don't do it.
1: <laughs> oh, the sunshine pump is a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs>
0: um, is something I've never used before. So you've you've prompted me now. It's probably something I should do a bit more research on and spend a bit more time on. I've done versions of mm. um, we used to use a version that the first three elements of were decision-making unit, decision-making process, decision-making criteria, then you go down yep. timelines, then you go down uh, specific pain points, et cetera. Um, used a bunch of different versions, but I haven't specifically used Medpick before. So
1: that's a good one for- now, Mate, on In the end, are it. all the same, right? Use yeah. use solution selling, use customer-centric selling, use TAS, like I don't care. Just- have a framework. Right? Spin selling? Are you still a spin seller? Spin yeah, Neil, I've got
0: that here somewhere. <laughs> Same. I've got it somewhere. I think, it's, I think it's up over there.
1: I haven't got it here next to me. These are the yeah. ones that I read all the time.
0: Yep. Yep. Um so I've got a couple of things I wanna I wanna ask to yep. sort of wrap us up and tie a bow. One of them is that um this is obviously a, a revenue growth podcast. What is like a a core belief that you have around revenue growth? Something that people should maybe really don't think about enough and don't take seriously enough that you think that they should?
1: Yeah, cool. Um, I I think I've actually touched on three different points through this previous conversation that that I think are real core beliefs around it, but, you know, m- most companies don't train their leaders properly. You have to be able to train certainly your revenue leaders to be able to uh, consistently inspire and coach and, and not just inspect. Um, I-, I talked about how we-, we had a customer that we lost a whole bunch of money on and I should have made a decision earlier to actually stop that thing. So like the lesson out of that is not all revenue growth is good revenue growth. Mm. Uh, so. Be careful about what you're selling and how you're doing it.
0: Lots of tech companies have learned that in the last uh, the last year.
1: Yeah. I mean, you want good customers that are going to pay their bills on time, that are going to yep. come back second, third, fifth engagement with you. That absolutely has to be a two-way thing as well, right? It can't be you giving everything up. They need to make sure that they're coming to the party with it uh, as well. And so, you know, I, I think that there are, you self-select in and out, right? Customers absolutely have the right to hire you for a piece of work or not hire you for a piece of work. You need to understand as a revenue generating organization that you also need to be careful about who your customers are. Because if you go and, you know, the conversation with, with one of my reps this morning, hey, if you've got a multi million dollar uh, quota for this year and you've just spent the last three weeks dealing with this customer that spent 30 grand and they're unhappy, I got something to tell you about you know where you're spending your time, uh, yeah. and you know is are you going to be getting the revenue that you wanted because you're focusing on the wrong things, right? Um, and then probably my last point would just be that that last bit about a consistent vocabulary, right? A con- a, a lack of consistent vocabulary and process will render your sales cycle ineffective at best, useless at worst. Um, so. I think being able to consistently go, this is our sales process, 0, 10, 20, 50, 70%, whatever it is, here is the gates to go from this step to this step, here is the framework that we use, which for us is BANT, why do they have to buy from us now And MedPick just makes it far easier for you to go, yes, I trust those numbers. That deal is that big, it's going to close in that date. And so it's just having the right sort of questions to go and ask about those as well. The, the kind of flip side corollary to that about vocabulary also is the vocabulary that you take to your customers will determine where you end up in your customer. Mm. You hire in an organization, talk differently to people in mid-level or in more focused or specific parts of the organization. Yeah. If you go and talk to a ServiceNow admin about the company's margin, that they're not going to understand mm. necessarily or have any influence over what you're talking about. If you go and talk to a CFO about, hey, this script isn't running properly, you're not going to have a very long meeting, right? Mm. So for you to grow uh, in revenue, uh, revenue and sales capability, for you to grow as a leader, you have to figure out how to talk to different stakeholders at your customer because they do talk a different language, right? How many of us have had a first meeting with a C-level person and then never got the second meeting? I'll tell you why, it's because you didn't talk their language. It didn't mm, talk about the yep. things that they wanted to, right? Um, I mean, when I was at Microsoft, quite a young guy didn't really know what I was doing. And I would be out talking with CIOs because they'd be spending 10, 15 million bucks with Microsoft. And I'm kind of walking in there going, how many CALs do you want for Windows?" And the guy's like, I don't know. I've been tasked by the board that I've got to go and do these sorts of things and I've got these four key priorities. How is Microsoft helping with that? Uh, 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 you've got to <laughs> figure out how to learn those things, right? Yeah. Getting the first meeting is one thing. Getting the second meeting is a totally different thing. If you're yeah. not in the second meeting, you're not speaking the right language to that stakeholder.
0: Yeah. Um, coming up in sales I was, I was very lucky relatively early in my career I, got, I had a, a great mentor uh, one of the best sales trainers I, I've ever I've ever met I got very I got very lucky um, and one of the things he used to talk about all the time was um, situational fluency right yep. and situational fluency uh, in terms of your who your customer is and yep. the language that they talk and what's happening in their world, not trying to get them to understand your world but you trying to adapt your world to theirs so that they can understand it. Um, and we so, would talk about it. On, on The wrong way around.
1: So many people still take their yeah. own into what's going on. You want to buy some of these. They don't want to buy the drill bit. They want to buy the hole. Talk to them about what they want. So yeah, yeah.
0: sorry, I, yeah. I interrupted.
1: No, 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 absolutely.
0: So um, yeah, he'd always talk about situational fluency, but we would we would also talk about it uh, exactly like you said, it is dependent on the person um, and quite often it's dependent on, on seniority of the yeah. role too. Um, yeah. Even if you think in terms of tone and approach, yeah. you tend to find that um, a C-level buyer just fundamentally talks different than the uh, technician-level buyer who's really working out the nuts and bolts. Yep. Um, and being able to adapt to those two things while still being you and not being a false version of yourself while still being you, but being able to adapt to those environments, I think is, is super important. Um, so I'm going to wrap up cause we're, we're just about out of time, Ooh. but I've got, um, I'd love for you to, to tell everybody, where do they, uh, reach out to you? How do people reach out to you? Uh, what might they reach out about?
1: Yep, sure. So uh, relatively easy. So the company is CloudGo. The website's cloudgoservices.com. Um, you can reach me at rory.fitzpatrick at cloudgoservices.com. And I appreciate that that is super, super long, right? So Rory at works just as well. cloudgoservices.com, cloudgo.asia, cloudgo.com.au, they will work, right? We've bought all of those domains. Um, somebody uh, somebody bought cloudgo.com and wants to sell it for 100000 US and we're like, yeah, no, sorry, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's why we have cloudgo services. Uh, so, you, so certainly go and try that. Look, our, our job is about uh, helping people drive digital workflows that matter and helping people get the most value from their ServiceNow investment. ServiceNow is an incredible tool. It's very rare for people to throw it out of their organizations but plenty of organizations go, wow, this is, you know, this is a tier one tool. It's priced accordingly. How do I make sure I'm getting my bang for my buck? And that's kind of our job, right? So we're all about helping make sure that uh, that you're delivering those great outcomes and, uh, and really help drive great experiences both for your internal team and for your customers as well.
0: Awesome. Um- This has been a very insightful conversation. I've very much enjoyed this. I think anybody uh, from our our audience who, um, particularly who is in enterprise level software sales is going to take a thousand things out of this, but there's so many lessons in here around how to approach growing businesses, how to approach growing yourself, how to approach growing teams. Uh, And so, yeah, massive thank you for for sharing today and joining us. And uh, we'll have to have you back at
1: some point. No problems at all. Thank you, Ben. Been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me along. Good man. Bye-bye.